Today is May 13th, 2014, and this is episode 109. This program is intended for informational and educational purposes only. Cryptocurrency is a new field of study. Consult your local futurist, lawyer, and investment advisor before making any decisions whatsoever for yourself. Welcome to Let's Talk Bitcoin, a twice-weekly show about the ideas, people, and projects building the digital economy and the future of money. My name is Adam B. Levine, and in the past, we've talked about metacoins, or new coins whose purpose is to enable the building of even newer coins on top of them. Today on Let's Talk Bitcoin, we're joined by Robbie, one of the developers on the Counterparty team. Robbie, thanks for taking the time with us. No problem. Good to talk to you. So I'm brand new here. What's Counterparty? Counterparty is a project that introduces several pretty cool and pretty powerful peer-to-peer financial tools layered on top of Bitcoin itself. It is the first uh, fully functional decentralized exchange and heading and badging platform ever. Uh, it was released on January 2nd of this year. Code's out, it's available, and it's all working today. So Counterparty is known as uh, an embedded consensus system. So this means that each Counterparty transaction is embedded into a Bitcoin transaction and then broadcast on the Bitcoin network. So by doing this, Counterparty gains the security and, and decentralization of Bitcoins and the Bitcoin blockchain. Really, our goal with Counterparty is to create an open technology platform that's free for businesses, developers, entrepreneurs, etc. to build on. So our, our top goal principles around the project have really been around openness and sustainability. So for instance, the code is open source and uh, the three founders of which I'm one, as well as most other members on the team are essentially self-sufficient volunteers. To that point, you know, we went to great lengths to have a clean and fair launch. We modeled the movement um, after successful open source efforts such as Linux and Bitcoin itself. And uh, I guess, you know, we were the crazy Bitcoin burning guys. I think that's a good high level overview of Counterparty. I'd like to get into what the actual features are of Counterparty are. So, you know, we we spent a lot of time talking to people about Counterparty. For instance, I was in California last week, just doing a lot of, spoke at a few meetups, um, spoke at a Stanford uh, cryptocurrency class. That was great. And just got some user feedback talking about these financial features and then what people saw in it, as well as just talking to several entrepreneurs and developers that are already building on top of the platform. So we really reduce that down to, you know, when you talk to somebody about Counterparty, really getting it down to three three main use cases that we're at least seeing with the community today. But before I get started talking about those, um, I want to just make the, the listeners aware that Counterparty is a global technology and as it has, you know, these features, uh, listeners should just be educated about the laws in their jurisdiction and use the technology in a way that's lawful and responsible for where, you know, wherever they reside. You know, with that out of the way. Uh, well, hang on a second here. <laughs> let, <laughs> let me jump in there for a second. What kind of a statement is that to make in this current environment? Because, you know, like I'm, I'm very interested in these types of technologies, but the legal situation is at best really unclear. So, I mean, this is just your general disclaimer that you don't know what's going on. And so people shouldn't blame you if something happens, right? To a point, but I think think you really just echoed a lot of what it is. So really just technology in general, generally what happens is that the technology will come up. So Bitcoin is a perfect example of this. It comes out and really the, the legal precedence hasn't really been set because the laws have not had... a a time to adjust and really take this kind of technology into account where you had Bitcoin rise up and be kind of like 
decentralized peer-to-peer money, if you will. Counterparty and a lot of these 2.0 platforms like it are essentially talking about decentralized markets, decentralized law, you know, with these autonomous contracts, for instance. There's so much potential to really move society along and help out society really create a lot of innovation, expand the economy, create create more jobs in the space. There's a lot of potential with, with all of this technology, but at the same time, it's it's not fully clear 100% how it will work out, especially such as countries like the United States. So, that's not really something meant to scare people. It's more just for people to be aware of this. And, but this um, is unknown terrain. Uh, to, to, to a point, I think there are several, there are, you know, I think that, that, Regulators will try to utilize existing laws on the books to the maximum extent possible. But, for instance, a lot of those laws, it's not clear that they apply to peer-to-peer technologies. Well, let me, let me ask this a different way. Do you feel comfortable using your technology, given the current legal environment? Yeah, I personally do. Um, I think, you know, we're, we're using it today for creating assets and trading those, things like that. Um, as, as, um, and, you know, you can do things such as hedging as, as, as well. Um, there are certain features such as, you know, when you have a, instruments, and I'll get into this a little bit, such as binary options and contracts for difference, if you were to form a company around that, you know, how do you lawfully conduct business, especially in a country like the United States, for instance, in a way that is upfront and staying out of any kind of gray, gray areas, so to say. So, I think, I think really this is what Counterparty is itself. It is a technology platform, an open technology platform, and it's also a global technology, which means that it's not, you know, it's, it's, we couldn't just say, oh, you know, here's these features, but we're going to write right in the code that um, if, if location United, United States disabled these features because someone would just fork it and they would remove that feature set. The responsibility really falls on the end user to just make sure that they're conducting their business right for them and, 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 you know, in the grounds of the laws. Now, that's in contrast to the Satoshi Dice solution, which is to ban the IP addresses of certain countries so that users from, say, the United States can't visit the site. But in practice, what happens is that uh, since the service, as you say, is is a global uh, decentralized network, you can't actually censor the service. You can only censor the information about it on certain websites. Because there are some other attempts to use this, and probably Ether will wind up using this for their crowd sale. You're saying that this is really a fig leaf. Satoshi Dice is a little different model. So, so you know, they they are essentially a centralized, you know, I guess they do Bitcoin gambling sites. So when you do that, you're essentially you have a single point. It wasn't the website that was the gaming part. It was the Bitcoin addresses. People send Bitcoin to these addresses and each address has a different set of odds. So regardless of where you are, if you know the Bitcoin address and have access to a Bitcoin client, you could do it whether or not you could visit the web page. That's basically that's what's happening here, right? Yeah, to a point. And, and, uh, but on top of that, it's, it, it's a little bit different because you have the protocol itself doing, doing escrow of bets and things like that. And so there's not actually a Satoshi Dice centralized entity that's doing this escrow and determining these bets and doing the exchanges. It's even more centralized. Satoshi Dice built on top of Bitcoin. It was new ground because you weren't doing, you know, you're not setting up a betting site, for instance, where you're taking US dollars, which clearly has issues. You're working with Bitcoin and then still, you know, I'm not a lawyer, but there still seem to be even some kind of ambiguities with that, which is even taking Bitcoin. There were still elements of centralization around it. So this is taking that kind of technology even farther 
general financial tools technologies and counterparty is not about creating a betting site, but it's just about creating these general financial tools that we put out there open source to users, you know, to developers, and then letting them build up whatever they want to build up around it, whether that be a company that helps other groups make their own coins for like brand promotion, or whether that be a company that, you know, where, where people can hedge their risk exposure, or whether that be something like a Satoshi Dice where somebody's doing that. And um, none of that stuff is things that we can stop. We're just simply making the source code and putting it out there for people to use. So from a features perspective, um, the tools that Counterparty provides user-created tokens, very options, contract for different tools similar to that, are able to be used many ways. However, the three most common use cases that we're seeing at least today are create a coin. So with this, you can create your own coin or token or asset for your company or your project. And you can do it in less than 30 seconds using CounterWallet, which is the uh, graphical interface. It's kind of like a, it's a web wallet, essentially, for Counterparty. You can use this token that you create for brand promotion and retention, crowd sale-based fundraising, and more. And of course, Adam, you, you're aware of that because you're launching LTV coin here shortly. Yep, getting pretty close. The second case is uh, essentially to trade anything. So Counterparty has a built-in peer-to-peer exchange or decentralized exchange which allows for folks to easily trade um, these tokens that can represent virtually anything with anyone without the middleman involved. I think that's probably the one I'm personally most excited about. The third one is uh, essentially hedge or bet on anything. So the platform allows for uh, peer-to-peer hedging and betting to both enable speculation and for risk management. So we are getting ready to launch uh, LTB coin on the counterparty platform. And uh, I have been playing around with the interface. You know, let's talk about the wallet for a second. And I guess talk about assets in general. Um, this was the first time that I have ever actually created a crypto coin. You know, like I, I looked at CoinGen before, which was this web page that lets you create like a script clone very easily. So, you know, it never really was anything that I wanted to do. But once the counter wallet launched on Testnet, I started playing around with it and saw how easy it was and saw like the dividend feature. That was the really, really cool feature. And the page that shows you all of the different addresses that hold like the shareholder page. Those are really cool features that I haven't seen on tokens. Talk to me about these user-created assets. Well, I mean, I think I think the whole concept of, of, of user-created assets, it's really a powerful one because it's so... It's, it's overall a pretty general concept that you can use in just a variety of ways. You know, brand promotion, they can signify various properties. Like we have, there's this one company that's using Counterparty called Digital Tangible Trust. And they essentially have a token that represents a gold coin and you can buy a gold coin. They store that gold coin with a, um, a third-party custodial company. And then you essentially trade this token around as a proxy for that gold coin. And then essentially, whenever you want to take the gold coin out, you send that token back and then they'll ship you the gold coin. The, you know, Those are just a few usage of this kind of token technology. So especially when you're talking about distributions or, or dividends. Is this smart property? This is another really interesting thing about this field is that there's, there's a lot of terminology going around. And even internally, to be honest with you, we're still wrestling. Do we call them assets or we don't? Do we call them tokens? You know, I was talking to Matt Elias over at, at Coda, which is kind of an industry, uh, a nascent industry group um, around these 2.0 movements, such as Ethereum and MasterCoin and Counterparty, Colored Coins, for instance. I think there's an interest with all of us kind of getting together and really determining, okay, what, what, is, the, what is the exact vocabulary that we use here so that we're all on the same page? Um, so to that point, smart property itself, 
I, I personally, the, the, I think the term is used inaccurately, um, at least with its initial meaning, as I understood it. So redefine um, it for me then. What's the correct term for smart property? When you have a token and you actually have more of a physical device, uh, such as an ATM machine, and this ATM machine can essentially read the blockchain from that, understand, okay, I, I, the ATM machine says that there's this, there's this digital token on the counterparty network that represents me. And right now I'm owned by this address. And, oh, I was transferred off to this address, for instance. So it can, it can know things like such as who it's owned by, just different feature enablement, things like that. So it's essentially getting that intelligence through some kind of uh, blockchain technology, for instance. So the intelligence so, is an important part and the intelligence is what's lacking here? Yeah, well, I mean, what we're talking about here are digital tokens. I think that smart property is seems to be more of a specific term. And as far as I know, there's no devices that can do this today. Um, and I think that the concept of smart property is is really exciting, where you can essentially have the physical world and and uh, this technology. Um, but it's not something that exists like right at this present moment. Really, you need these hardware manufacturers to add that, that kind of support into their products. I've described uh, cryptocurrencies to this point as, you know, like Forex markets. And what's coming with the tokens built on top of things like Counterparty is more like a stock market. Is that a good analogy? Am I missing something? To me, at least, I think of Bitcoin as like, as, as like this peer-to-peer money system. And then on top of that, when you layer on Counterparty, or, for instance, you really get like these decentralized markets. So yeah, counterparty can be like a decentralized asset market where you can have these assets that represent whether it be some kind of crowd sale or there was one company that on counterparty that he made a formal filing with the US Securities and Exchange Commission and he was performing his IPO on top of counterparty. So they can even represent the the handing out of equity shares, you know, and it seemed like he went through all the, the correct channels for that at least for where he was headquartered. You're saying so, that it seems like because you guys don't do any vetting whatsoever, because again, you're just, you know, putting the platform there's, there's, out there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We just put the platform out there. So there's, like he could say, Hey, listen, guys, I want to do this. And I can say, well, great, but I can't stop him or I can't, you know, it's really that he could, he could even, he could do it whether we wanted him to or not. And that's really the, the nature of this technology. But I think that's what makes it so powerful as well. You know, you're talking about decentralizing these kinds of things and then, Essentially, all the all the innovations that can come out of that when kind of things develop at the speed of the people that are using it instead of at the speed of some kind of centralized entity that 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 can grow large and bloated and has to manually approve things or or whatnot. We've seen that with the internet, with how the internet has matured and how content can be published. There's no central clearinghouse for it. There's no large cable companies or newspaper companies that you have to convince to put your information out there. You can simply publish it the best information tends to rise to the top or at least get attention. So all these communities that form out of these different interests that people have and how people can find their own interests really form these social networks with one another and share content and develop based off, off of that. So I think that doing this similar kind of things with the concept of finance, monies, markets, law, um, you can have some very interesting kinds of things and just really speed up the pace of innovation. One of my favorite features about Counterparty's user-created assets is the dividend feature, which basically lets you send an amount that is split between all of the tokens. So however many tokens you have out there, you essentially issue an equal amount in a single transaction 
which is very cool because if you were doing that just with Bitcoin, it would take a different transaction for each one or at least a different output, right? Yeah, exactly. So, so because if, if you're doing, you know, counterparty, we actually call them distributions now. So if you're doing a distribution um, and you can, you can have one kind of asset or token that you use, like, so say you have LTB coin and you want to do a distribution, um, you could have another asset you actually do the distribution in. So you have all the owners of LTB coin will get some share of this LTB contest token. Um, so you, can so we would make a different asset and then we would give that as a distribution now. Okay. So I have to, I have to comment on this. You've changed the name. It was dividends and now it's distribution. So, I mean, like, again, is this just trying to, trying to posture as best possible to not have any uh, unnecessary conflicts? Yeah, I think, I think that's part of it. So, so this is something that, you know, so for instance, you know, we were, we were meeting with um, some Silicon Valley uh, attorneys here last week and it was kind of funny to listen to them because they were so, they were so excited about this technology and they were just almost kind of giddy about it. And it was, it was, it was really neat um, just because they do a lot of venture capitalist stuff. And this is something that's really different and really new. And, um, and, I think part of the, part of what comes out of these kinds of conversations is, you know, you have certain terms that that have kind of a legal weight, <clears throat> at least in at least in the United States, for example. And these include things such as IPO, such as stocks, such as shares, um, dividends is another one. And so, part of this is like, um, I. You know, I, I think that this technology is really something that's different. You know, we're not, th- this is really, there are some fundamental differences with this technology between it and, and, and the, the, you know, the current uh, conventional or mainstream systems. And uh, I think a lot of this is just really expressing that and making it clear that we adopt these different terms and they're tor- terms more appropriate with the technology itself and how we're using the technology, which is not to create an exact analog of what's already out there, but it's, it's fundamentally different technology. So it's kind of like to not, not confuse matters. And I think this is really a common movement with, with all of these companies uh, or, or, or organizations such as MasterCoin and Ethereum. Uh, and I think it's part of the reason why we're looking to work together to really develop a, a common vocabulary that we can utilize for this technology. CryptoKit is the world's first Chrome browser Bitcoin wallet. It's the easiest, fastest Bitcoin wallet payment system. With a simple one-click install, it takes just seconds to get your wallet set up. And because CryptoKit finds the address and payment for you, there's no more fussing around or tab switching. CryptoKit is more than just a wallet. It comes with a preloaded PGP-encrypted social network, news feeds from Reddit and Google, and up-to-date charts from exchanges. Finally, CryptoKit directory allows you to make two-click payments with any of the BitPay merchants. Once you install CryptoKit, you won't need anything else. For more information or to download CryptoKit, visit CryptoKit.com. EasyDNS is the Swiss army knife for your domain names, helping meet their customers' individual needs since 1998. EasyDNS has been an outspoken critic of SOPA and CISPA. EasyDNS was an early supporter of Bitcoin, and now they are proud to sponsor this show. Do business with a company that shares your values. Get a 13% discount when you pay with Bitcoin. Go to bitcoin.easydns.com and be sure to use discount code LTB.
certainly this is a this is a gray area here, but there is some positive momentum, you know, as far as clarifying terms. I think words really do matter in this space. And so it's nice to see that there's a cross-platform effort going on there. You know, when it comes to these potentially legally controversial issues, I sort of thought that that was why the counterparty developers, yourself included, initially went only by pseudonyms. Uh, you know, I initially knew you as Ex Nova, and it was only in the last week or two that you know I've come to know you as as Robbie. So, can you talk about kind of the um, can you talk about the project in the early days and the decisions to to be anonymous, and then, frankly, the decisions now that it's time to go live to not. I think initially, you know, when Counterparty started and it was, you know, we released on mainnet, we had the reference client released uh, January 2nd of this year. So, you know, when we did that, we did so with with aliases and we were anonymous. Um, Phantom Freak, X Nova, which was me, and then City Glut, which was Evan, and Phantom is Adam. So, when we did that, the, the two main reasons were just to make it more about the technology rather than us as, as individuals. You know, we wanted people to really focus on the technology itself, evaluate the technology on its own merits, um, and, then, and then decide whether it stood on its own two feet. I think the second issue was, yeah, as you, as you stated, the legal climate definitely has a gray areas where it's not like that, oh, this technology is clearly illegal. It's more like there's really no precedence for this technology. It is something that's totally new. And um, it was kind of funny because, you know, we were I was watching the Senate hearings, I think, last late last November, various folks that were testifying about as far as Bitcoin, what it is. And um, all the conversation was on Bitcoin as a payment technology, you know, the Bitcoin token concept. That alone is just so new to, you know, these kinds of legal authorities just using this digital cash that you can transfer things around that's decentralized. You know, there's no Liberty Reserve or, or e-gold company to go after and assets to seize, for instance. But then, you know, I don't know if fully the whole idea and weight of the whole blockchain concept of blockchain technology has really even dawned on Washington yet. And um, that's going to be very interesting and um <clears throat> I don't want to use the phrase exciting, but I'll use the phrase interesting because <laughs> it's so, there's so much more possible with that technology. You know, what is Bitcoin? Is it a network that exists to carry around this digital token called, you know, little b Bitcoin that people can exchange and shops can take it and it can be used for e-commerce applications? Is it, is it the blockchain technology itself where that this digital Bitcoin token happens to be one aspect of that, but on the blockchain, you can essentially utilize it in all sorts of ways. You can embed data in it. You can extend it, you know, through extending scripts or side chains, tree chains, all this different technology. It really becomes kind of like a the prototypical or, or the initial, this, this application platform essentially that can do, can be used for decentralized crypto financial applications. So that, that's really what is really working its way out. I, I personally see it as the latter, but um, you know, I think it was Tony Gallippi, he, he mentioned as far as you have, you can have tokens that represent houses or, or there was some, there was some phrase he had in there. And I think it just went right over everyone's heads who was there on the panel. You're going to be seeing a lot more of that when that's going to be really taking center stage and like, whoa, you can do more than just transferring around for payments. You can, you can have these tokens that represent things. You can. Well, so what does this things. mean for Bitcoin? I mean, like, let's, you know, let's get into it because this is, this is a big what, question you know, a lot of people look at these new tokens that are coming out and they say, this is competing with Bitcoin because value is going into it that would otherwise have gone into Bitcoin. 
so when you look at Counterparty itself, um, you know, you have these 1.0 alt chains, I'd call them, you know, such as like Litecoin and Dogecoin and Maxcoin or whatever else. And um, you look at Counterparty itself and Counterparty actually rides on top of Bitcoin. And with Counterparty, uh, we try to make Bitcoin as much of a first class citizen uh, token as possible. So what that means, for instance, you can trade from Bitcoin into any counterparty asset, whether that be LTB coin or whatnot. We don't force people to go through XCP, which is a native counterparty currency. We really want to keep Bitcoin relevant in it. You know, these 2.0 tokens that, that are built on top of our counterparty decentralized marketplace, they can be exchanged directly for Bitcoin. They build on top of Bitcoin. They utilize the security of the Bitcoin network, which is really important. You have all these altcoins, for instance, that just have very marginal hash rates. Their security is <laughs> it's very low or, you know, someone could just point a multi-pool at it or whatever. And just if they wanted to be malicious, they could just crush the coin. And we're seeing that with several of them. And this really kind of takes that out of the equation. So instead of having these these forked efforts, you can have these tokens that actually exist on top of Bitcoin and can can add value to the Bitcoin ecosystem. You know, to that point, there are really, I think, two philosophical camps here in regards to altcoins, for instance. Kind of the, the view of maybe Adam Back, for instance, which, uh, which is the digital scarcity concept, which is, you know, there's no reason for these alternative tokens to exist. Everyone can just use Bitcoin and you have sidechains and people move their Bitcoin around. And, and really, Bitcoin is really the main token. Then you have another concept. I first heard this with a video that Andreas did. I think it was over at that conference they had up in Toronto, uh, where he was talking about money as a language of value and kind of comparing the rise of these altcoins really to be an early stage attempt where, like, for instance, at one point, it used to be just inconceivable for, you know, why would you need your own website for your own personal stuff? Why would you need your own website, you know, starting a company, starting a website, or starting a website, even for who you are, the whole kind of concept of a Facebook page. You know, why do we need all these websites? But people do them anyhow. So you can really see this concept of taking that kind of analogy over to these tokens where just like you'd have a website, maybe not as many websites, but you start a new effort up and that effort can use something where there's a crowd sale type analogy to it or if you want to build up some kind of equity or increase retention within your community, they can be used as a, a method of really saying this is our community and then people can exchange value and use these tokens to communicate value with one another. And so you can see the point where these tokens are very, very just numerous and you know, you don't have to worry about all this technical geek stuff such as, oh, God, I got to get the hash power. I have to have people mine my coin. It's just like it really takes it down to a 30-second thing. I just create my token, and then I can actually get to using the token, promoting my token. Really, the technology is taken care of for me. So you essentially have these two camps. I tend to subscribe more to the second one. I think that just that is just more in line with how human nature and just how humans ha have historically used money. It's a very interesting concept because it kind of utilizes this internet website idea as well as moving money back to what it used to be where you'd have this representative currencies or these commodity currencies where you could go into one community, the money that would be being used would be different and went from one community or one civilization to another. It's just whatever they saw as having value. Instead it sort of, of makes now, me think of regional dialects too. You know I mean? Like yeah. you can have the same language yeah, exactly. again, like that's sort of what uh, seems like counterparty or a mastercoin would be is that, you know, like they are built on the biggest language, Bitcoin or English. 
they allow you to personalize and customize as kind of needed. So it's like slang almost. It's a language for creating more languages, you know? So you yeah. have these, yeah, these currencies as these nation state tokens. I mean, we still have, of course, we'll have the fiat currencies, but you can also have this thing where people can create their own tokens for their communities or, or for whatever. So, you know, the wallet is fascinating because it's the uh-huh. first time, you know, that I've really seen multiple tokens held in the same installation. And I mean, that's, of course, the other thing. The web wallet is so necessary for this project because if you want to install a full node client, it's not just as simple as downloading and installing a new client. You actually have to re-index the client. So can you talk to me about the the web wallet? This is one of the first multi-asset wallets that I've seen. And it seems like if you think that we're going to have millions of tokens around, you know, or or hundreds of thousands of different types of tokens around, this is a problem that's going to need to be solved. Will this scale? I mean, is this just the start? I think it's just a start. I, I think the web wallet, if you look at the user interface, for instance, you, you have an address and in that address, you can have one or more of these kinds of tokens. Right now, the address is kind of like a box and then these tokens are like little boxes within that box is, is how they're represented. So it's kind of like you open up a box and then you have these various tokens laying within the box. I think that you know you may have a million assets or tokens on the network, but how many of those is, is your average user really going to have in a given address? You know, they, they could have 10, 20, 30, 5. Um, I don't think most users are going to have more than 15 or 20 in a given address. But that, that could be the famous, you know, who needs more than 640K of, of memory statement. That's <laughs> right. <laughs> so, so it's, uh, you know, I, I don't, I don't want to say that. But at the same point, I think there's a lot of things that you can do around uh, the UI to kind of show like the most commonly used assets if somebody has a lot of ass, uh, tokens or assets sitting in a given address. Um, there's a lot of tweaks. And this is initially where we just show it all. And um, I think as this kind of technology gains a foothold, we can continue to iterate on that, continue to make tweaks just to keep it to be a very user-friendly experience. So that that's really the goal with CounterWallet because, you know, as you said, it's, it is really, I, I think it's set a lot of firsts. Because it's not only that where you can have all these multiple assets, it trades on chain. So it's on the blockchain. So like with a decentralized exchange experience that most people are used to, you will send funds to a deposit address. You know, Then you'll trade on the centralized exchange. And those trades happen very quickly because it's utilizing the, um, the exchange's own you know, trade engine to do it off of the blockchain. Um, and then you cash out. But with CounterWallet, you're actually trading. When you trade on the de- uh, decentralized exchange, you're trading on the blockchain. So, for instance, I'll, I'll go create an account. I'll send coins to my wallet, uh, Bitcoins. And then say I want to do a trade from, from Bitcoin and buy some XCP with my Bitcoins. I'm going to create an order. And it's going to take a confirmation for that order to actually show up on the exchange. So the order will be sent essentially to the Bitcoin peer-to-peer network. Some miner is going to pick it up, package it into a block that normally happens within just one one block. All of our counterparty transactions pay a miner's fee. So they normally pick it up relatively quickly. It ends up into a block. Once it ends up into a block, the protocol, the, the, the counterparty D reference client running on 100, 200, 500, 1,000 machines, whatever will essentially see this order and then it will go through, look at all the other open orders and it will say, okay, do I have any orders that will match this order? When you created the order, it actually escrowed the funds away. So it is actually holding on to those funds. Um, they were kind of removed into your, from your balance. So for instance, you have a banking account and let's say you may have $20, but you can actually only use 10 of those dollars. It's similar to that kind of concept. So the funds were escrowed. 
And then the protocol will automatically match um, open orders. And then when it does that, it creates these order matches, exchanges the funds, and then unescrows them. So that's essentially how it works. You know, with Bitcoin, there's one extra step called a BTC pay. You said one of the three primary things the counterparty aims to do is to make it so you can trade anything. How does this enable that? I, I can see that it would enable you to trade anything that's on the counterparty platform, and I can see that it enables you to trade anything on Bitcoin. Yep. But does it enable you to trade anything on another coin like Dogecoin or something like that? Can I trade Dogecoin on this platform? So far, we've ex- explored the, the decentralized exchange from the concept of, of these native tokens, such as LTB coins, such as XCP. But we've also been um, working on, on introducing the concept of proxy tokens, which is a token on the counterparty network that represents something else. For instance, we have this technology that is, and what's actually even more exciting about this technology is actually comes out of a member of the counterparty community that's actually forming a business around it. And that's, that's so cool um, to start to see these businesses coming out of this. Um, but the technology is, is called Vend. And uh, what Vend is, you can really think of it as a um, digital vending machine. So I can have a vending machine um, for for LTC, for Litecoin, for instance. I'll go to the webpage for this vending machine and I'll say, okay, I want to get XLTC or Cripsy LTC or whatever this counterparty proxy token is named sent to this counterparty address. I'll type in my counterparty address and we'll say, okay, send your Litecoin to this Litecoin address. And so I'll send my Litecoin to the Litecoin address and then the vending machine will essentially create some, if say if Cripsy ran the vending machine, they may want to call it Cripsy LTC. It will create some Cripsy LTC and it'll put it into my counter wallet address. And then I can essentially trade that Cripsy LTC as a one-to-one proxy token for Litecoin on, on top of Bitcoin on the counterparty decentralized exchange. When I, you know, I trade it with some other guy, this guy goes to the Cripsy vending machine webpage and he says, hey, I want to cash out. It says, okay, what's your Litecoin address? He puts his Litecoin address in, sends the Cripsy LTC to the vending machine and it, and it reverses the process and caches them out of it. So it's like automated exchange. Yeah, so it's like a micro exchange. So the, what comes out of this concept is you essentially have this, it's kind of similar to Ripple on some regards, where you essentially have uh, this, this, you have the decentralized exchange in the middle. It's like a circle. You have the decentralized exchange in the middle and then you have these semi-centralized vending machines around it and then these these through these proxy tokens people can come in and come out of it so counterparty the our our decentralized exchange really becomes a meta exchange where you can trade essentially any kind of altcoin that you will have a vending machine for um, on top of bitcoin and no longer do you need to run a centralized exchange you can just do this with the decentralized exchange technology so no mount gox that can go down and take all your money um, you just have the vending machine operator and the vending machine operator can charge a small fee. So there's a profit motive. It's some, so Cripsy could start up a few vending machines for their things, for instance, and charge a, charge a fee on their vending machines. It's another line of business for them. So, so the advantage of this would be that by using a vending machine, people would be able to take real Litecoin and convert it into Litecoin that can be traded on this exchange against all of the other tokens that are also trading on the exchange. Is that right? Exactly. And so that makes the Litecoin more useful, which is why someone would be willing to pay a fee. I'm trying to work through the logic on this, but I think that makes sense, right? Yeah, yeah, essentially. So you, you enable trading of, of these altcoins essentially on the decentralized exchange on, on top of Bitcoin. 
you know, the reason why a lot of people trade is because they like the idea of trading uh, in a short term, responsive, you know, kind of day trader sort of way. I don't really think that's possible with decentralized exchanges. What do you think the value of decentralized exchanges are? Let me back up and look at the second use case of these proxy tokens. And then that, that may help shed some more light on that question. The second use case is that, you know, not only can you do this with, with these alt chains, um, you can also have proxy tokens for things like US dollar, euro, uh, commodities like corn, soy, and wheat. Um, so I think there's some interest. Um, there's been an interest with a few significant players in the space potentially doing something like a USD coin, where what happens is that these uh, you may have a company. Uh, I'm going to use Coinbase in this example. It's not Coinbase, but I'm just going to use them for, for the example. Uh, you have a company like Coinbase that will have a Coinbase USD proxy token. And, you know, they're fully compliant with FinCEN and all of that. They have all the AML and KYC stuff out of the way. And so you can go to the Coinbase site and you can essentially give them 5,000 US dollars. You buy 5,000 Coinbase USD tokens. And then you can hold on to those tokens and you can trade those tokens on the decentralized exchange. And likewise, someone can cash back out. The token would have Coinbase's name right in it. They can utilize their reputation. And then they can also, there's a profit model for them where they just essentially will collect fees. They can collect a small exchange fee on either coming into the token or exiting or both. So it really opens the door up to not only trading native 2.0 tokens on top of counterparty, not only trading the altcoins, the 1.0 altcoins on top of counterparty, but also trading virtually anything that you can create a proxy token with. You know, I can I can just hold on to these USD coins. I have funds that I can easily trade into Bitcoin, but I don't have to hold on to Bitcoins and expose myself to the Bitcoin volatility if I don't mean to. So it can be like somewhat of a long hedging mechanism. And there's a variety of other useful kinds of things that, that you can do with this whole proxy token technology, as well as establishing markets between, you know, pick a currency, one kind of fiat currency and some kind of altcoin. So with counterparty, any two assets can you can have a pair form through them and a market form around them you just trade one for the other and if other people are trading we'll establish a market between those two kinds of assets or tokens so rather than market risk it's more like individual issuer risk it, it, exactly so so the risk with that and that's why we call it semi-centralized is that because you're, you're essentially holding on to these coinbase usds now if coinbase went down uh, what they could do is just have a thing where or, or if they had issues or, or they were going to stop with this offering, they could have something where uh, send all your Coinbase USD back in and we can cash them back out, you know, um, or like any kind of centralized exchange. It could it, if they had Coinbase USDs in the business, they just went totally out of business. You could have an issue just like you would with a centralized exchange. So it's not it's not a perfectly decentralized concept, but it's a good way for you know, especially when you're talking about things like enabling the trade of fiat commodities and, and other various kinds of, of, of quote unquote real world assets on top of this decentralized blockchain technology. Um, it's a pretty neat way to do that and a pretty simple way to do it. CFO of Let's Talk Bitcoin. 
As someone who pays bills with Bitcoin, I find it immensely satisfying that I can pay our designer in Canada quickly and easily. A couple of button clicks and Bitcoin moves over miles and borders, unfettered by overbearing bureaucracy. It is our goal here at Let's Talk Bitcoin to create structures that allow Bitcoin and all of its descendants to thrive and grow into the safe, free, and fair invention that Satoshi wrote about. In my spare time, I'm also the president of Bitcoin Packaging. BitcoinPackaging.com makes it easy to use your currency of choice to purchase mundane products. We empower you to change the financial world by spending your Bitcoin. When you buy a product from BitcoinPackaging.com with Bitcoin, we will send you a 10% rebate off of the already low prices. BitcoinPackaging.com is a virtual company. We have no warehouse, trucks, or salespeople. Come to our store, take a look around, spend some Bitcoin, and tell your friends. BitcoinPackaging.com So, Robbie, one of the, you know, we're running out of time, but it's been really interesting watching Counterparty in, in comparison to some of the other projects out there because you guys, you know, like you said, just came out in early January. The project formed, I think, in, in November or December, right? You haven't been around too long at all. It, no, yeah, it, it was. We really got to start cracking on the code for the reference client in uh, mid-November. And then the um, counterwall development started in, I think, mid to late January. So we, we really just got in there and, uh, you know, we saw a need just to really simplify and optimize things around the concept of finance, which is a niche, but it's a huge niche. And really just release stuff quickly, release working code, iterate rapidly and just get this open platform concept out to people and just let them build. It's a great platform. So I've been testing it out since basically it hit testnet. And uh, I've now had to move my wallets, uh, (laughs) I think, three or four times. And I'm wondering if you can kind of enlighten me. I know that there have been some security issues. What's going on with that? Is this something that I need to be concerned about? And am I going to need to move my wallet too many more times? Because it's it's a little bit time consuming. (laughs) Yeah. No, to to that point... um, so I think anyone who's been a counterparty user from the start, there we had one um, security issue with counterparty D back. It was a number of months ago, and um, it, was, it was just a certain vulnerability with 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 multi, the use of multi-sig inputs. So anyhow, out of that, what came out of that is that you know we we really gave a whole look down through the entire code. We uh, brought on Sergio Lerner, who is a um, just a recognized Bitcoin security researcher. He's found and, fi- and fixed a number of flaws in Bitcoin itself. Um, he did a full audit of the Counterparty D reference client, uh, gave it a thumbs up. We identified a, f- a few minor issues that would just cause it to crash. And there's no loss of funds issues that we identified. Um, and it, it, it passed that audit pretty well. We've also are working with Peter Todd. He's going to be doing a second security audit of the reference client here shortly. So that's with the reference client. So the, the counterparty D reference client, is, as far as we see it, it's, it's, it's really stable. It's had a number of really qualified eyes looking at it. You know, for instance, if you're going to build a business around counterparty D, um, it has a full API and, and we rec- recommend that people use the counterparty D reference client directly. So the other thing that you brought up was, was counter wallet, you know, the web wallet. To answer your question, no, I don't anticipate there's any <laughs> going to be any more wallet moves. Really, the reason was for that is that we initially started up with um, this Bitcoin JavaScript library called Bitcoin JS Lib. The library was it was like a 
you know, I think, I think it came together initially, you know, some people in the community just started hacking around on the JavaScript library and this is what came out of it. And there's been a number of people that have touched it, but it's been kind of like an organic development process around it. We had a number of problems. They had just added on the deterministic or HD wallet support to it. There's basically Bitcoin JS lib. There, there's a great, really smart guy, uh, Daniel Cousins, who's really doing a lot of development around it to really bring it up into shape and get it really high quality, put in a lot of tests around it, unit tests and things like that. But we were kind of caught in that whirlwind. And so what we did as a response to that is we essentially moved um, from Bitcoin JS lib just this past week, we moved to Bitcore, which is a uh, BitPay's JavaScript Bitcoin library that I'm sure many people are listening to this are familiar with. So we're using Bitcore today. We've we've had the Bitcore development team themselves take a look at at our, our implementation. They've given it a thumbs up. We've had a few other Bitcoin JavaScript um, experts looking at it. We've had a, a web security researcher who also specializes in Bitcoin. He's doing a security audit and doing penetration testing of the wallet. CSP or content security policy compliant now. We've really moved to as stable a, a platform as possible around this and implemented all these security standards and, and headers and, and to, to really make the wallet as secure as possible. So from the wallet standpoint, to answer your question, I don't, you know, there should not be any more address changes. Um, the security of the wallet is looking really good now. And we're just continuing to develop things, but I'm, I'm feeling pretty good about the wallet itself right now. And then feeling really good about the counterparty D reference client itself. So the one aspect that we haven't really touched on yet is actually the token that um, is the native currency of counterparty. And it is uh, XCP. Um, the times that I've used it, uh, disclosure, I have some, I, you know, generally disclosure, I, I have all cryptocurrencies. So just assume that. The only thing I've used XCP for so far has been to create new assets to test the features and stuff like that. Um, and I don't think that those payments are going to anybody. Uh, so, I mean, what happens to the 0.5 XCP that I spend, quote unquote, to, uh, to create a new asset? Yeah. So w- when you create a new asset, that XCP is essentially destroyed. This, the total supply is lowered by that 0.5 amount. So it's not, we don't we don't have anything in the protocol that when you create an asset or do something else, it sends money to somebody. There's no profit model or profit motive anywhere within Counterparty. And as you know, as the Counterparty founders, our lone economic incentive with this is we're just we're just uh, investors in XCP itself. Besides creating an asset, you know, I mean, explain to me what's the what is the value of having a currency like XCP? What does it enable you to do that you can't do with a project like Color Coins? You know, Counterparty has all this functionality with it. And um, the problem by having an embedded consensus system is essentially you can't escrow Bitcoins and, and, you know, arbitrarily escrow. You know, there are things like multi-sig, but you really need to know the the people beforehand and and create that multi-sig transaction and then throw the Bitcoin up into it and and deal with that. But the way that we use it, you essentially can't escrow these Bitcoins. So we have XCP. We're not fans of having something where you have to use XCP for some arbitrary reason where there's no technical reason under it. So really right now you use XCP for a few things. So it's used for the asset creation. It's used for callable assets when you want to call an asset back. So you you have an asset out there. You say, you know, after this date, I have the option to call this asset back or some percentage of the outstanding asset that's out there on the market to call it back for this price. So it's an option, you know, callable assets aren't required when you create an asset, but you can do that. Um, so that, that price is paid in XCP. And then, and then also XCP is most significantly used with 
um, with hedging and betting, it's used for the the um, the betting itself as well as the betting fees. So when you when you create a bet with somebody, um, or you open up a CFD to do hedging, because we need an apples to apples comparison, and you can't escrow Bitcoin, XCP is used on both sides of the bet or the hedge. That's really where XCP is of use. Uh, Robbie, I think we're definitely going to have to have you back. There are more topics that we did not have time to get to. Let's get kind of big picture and visionary here for a second. Can you talk to me about what happens if you guys succeed with what you're attempting to do here? I think the functionality here has definitely has big aspirations of applications here. And and, and I'm an entrepreneur. I have a 20-some technology company back here in North Carolina. For me personally, like I think the big exciting part of Counterparty is the fact that we're creating this open platform where you essentially just put it out there and then you can have these businesses and developers just do whatever with it. Every time I hear of a new business or a new effort coming on Counterparty, and there's been several ones, and we're talking to a number of these folks, um, it's really, really exciting because that, that's really the whole purpose of the platform. We would just want to create this open and un- unencumbered technology where people can just utilize it and add value to it, like real value, not pump and dump, but just value that grows over time and, and hopefully only gets bigger. That's really where the rubber hits the road. I think over time, just having this organic process as more people build on top of the platform, the most exciting applications to me are the really the ones that we haven't thought of. So there have been some things like digital tangible trust, good example, like that's a really cool and innovative way how they're using these digital tokens to represent gold coins. And there's been a number of ones, you know, the fact that Vend came out of the community. Just really looking forward to more of that, working with the community. You know, we believe, at least in the finance space, this is these are the pioneers. These are the early adopters that are really defining what decentralized crypto finance is, how it will work, and, and, and what it will look like. And so it's really exciting for us to be a part of this and to be working with these folks on this technology. So if somebody would like to learn more about Counterparty or uh, get involved, how do they do that? They can go to counterparty.co the counter wallet website you can get started with a wallet really quickly is counterwallet.co robbie thank you very much for your time all right thank you thanks for listening to episode 109 of let's talk bitcoin content for this episode was provided by robbie and adam this episode was edited by adam b levine music for this episode was provided by jared rubens and general fuzz any questions or comments email adam at letstalkbitcoin.com have a good one